Recent advances in technology have enabled 3D printing of biocompatible parts, driving major innovations in the medical industry. At the same time, 3D bioprinting has raised a number of legal questions, including patent eligibility under Section 101. Finnegan attorneys Barbara Rudolph and Kai Rajan join us now to provide insight into intellectual property concerns around 3D bioprinting. Kai, could you start us with a definition? What is 3D bioprinting? Bioprinting is a form of 3D printing, and in general, 3D printing is a type of additive manufacturing where you have a movable printhead or a movable base, and the printhead deposits materials to form a three-dimensional structure. 3D bioprinting takes that to the next level, and it uses specialized materials and special printers that handle those materials. Usually in 3D bioprinting, the process starts with a computer model. Sometimes it's from a scanned image, and that model provides the instructions to your 3D bioprinter. Then the biomaterial, which can be living cells that are specially treated or coated to work with a printer, or other materials that have been developed called bioinks that are made especially for developing printed tissues and organ structures, are deposited by the 3D bioprinter. And just like your additive manufacturing process, it builds the ink or the cells into your 3D structure, which ends up being, in some cases, it could be tissue, it could be an entire organ. If the cells are the material that's being printed, then they're usually preserved in a certain way and treated so that they could be stored and then deposited through the printer into the printed structure. There are a lot of differences between regular 3D printing, which usually uses plastics or metals, and 3D bioprinting, which uses much more specialized equipment and methods to print structures. Barbara, can you provide some examples of how 3D bioprinting is currently being used? Kai mentioned that 3D bioprinting is generally being developed to make biocompatible organs and tissues, and those could be used for diagnostic research and clinical purposes. So here are some examples. There are companies now working on 3D bioprinted liver tissue, blood vessels, skin for testing of cosmetics and perhaps eventually pharmaceuticals, and airway wall models that can be used to help study respiratory diseases. Another example, recently university researchers bioprinted a small ear structure, and then they implanted that small ear into a mouse. The ear structure was designed so that it would have these small little channels or capillaries incorporated into it. And while the ear was in the mouth, cartilage and blood vessels formed in the bioprinted ear. So that was very encouraging regarding the fate of implanted biomaterials. Those are the sorts of things that researchers and companies are working on. What are the top legal issues related to 3D bioprinting and intellectual property? There are two main issues related to 3D bioprinting and intellectual property. And those two issues are infringement and patent eligibility. With regard to infringement, normally with patent infringement, the patent owner is able to detect infringement if they see products that are being made or sold and distributed through the open market. With 3D bioprinting, there are certain considerations because you may have situations where you're completely unable to detect a product that's infringing a patent. For example, if there's two research groups that independently come up with a 3D bioprinted organ, let's call them Research Group A and Research Group B, 
Group A may not even learn that Group B is making the same kind of organ that infringes a patent that they may have gotten. And taking that a step further, at some point in the future, clinics and medical facilities will probably have their own printers where they're making the tissues and organs they need on demand and on site and then implanting them directly into their patients. There's a potential that the 3D bioprinting industry may not have distribution chains and products wouldn't be identified between the time that they're created and the time that they're implanted. And of course, once tissue or organs are implanted in a patient, it would be impossible for a patent owner to see who has infringing products implanted in them. A similar problem with infringement is centered around the companies that want to commercialize the 3D bioprinters themselves. To establish that a company that sells a bioprinter is liable for infringement, the patent owner would have to show that the bioprinter manufacturer induced infringement by a third party, which might be the person who uses the printer to create the organ or tissue. But inducement would require knowledge of the patent that was made by, for example, Research Group A, and the bioprinter manufacturer might not even have that knowledge. Then, of course, there's a question as to whether the bioprinted products are even eligible for patent protection to begin with. The problem is that bioprinted materials are designed to resemble naturally occurring products, like a naturally occurring liver or muscle or skin. So we have to start with Section 101 of the Patent Code, which defines what is eligible to be patented or eligible subject matter. In general, any new or useful process or manufacture or composition of matter is eligible for patent protection. And in fact, there's an older Supreme Court case, the Chakrabarty decision, that interpreted Section 101 as pretty expansive. But there are some exceptions, for example, natural phenomenon, natural products, and abstract ideas. So what that means is if I were to discover a new species of marsupial that no one had ever discovered before, I would not be able to obtain a patent on it. Even though I was the first to discover it, that marsupial is a product of nature. All I did was find it, and that would not be patent eligible. In the more recent Myriad case, the Supreme Court curtailed the scope of patent protection for inventions that are even derived from products of nature. The claims at issue in that case were directed to specific isolated DNA sequences that were associated with an increased risk of certain cancers. There were also claims to methods of identifying mutations in the DNA sequences, but we're going to focus more on the DNA sequences themselves. The Supreme Court found that isolated DNA that has the exact same sequence of nucleic acids as is found in the normal, naturally occurring human genome is not eligible for patent protection. On the other hand, there were other claims to certain synthetically created DNAs, known as cDNA, that were patent eligible. And the court explained that the certain cDNAs at issue there were not naturally occurring because those sequences had been altered relative to how the DNA was found in the human genome. So those claims were okay. Myriad provides some sort of framework for the patent eligibility discussion with respect to 3D bioprinted materials. To the extent that you can argue that a particular 3D bioprinted material differs from what's found in nature, you should be able to pass the Myriad eligibility test, similar to the situation with cDNA in that particular case. What's really interesting about this technology, though, is that the closer researchers can get to 3D bioprinting 
something that looks like and works like a human organ or tissue, the less patent eligible it may be because there are fewer differences between what exists in nature and what you have bioprinted. So it's a very interesting area to be thinking about, the Section 101 patent eligibility. Kai, can Section 101 offer a legal framework for 3D bioprinted products? There are a number of ways that you can protect 3D bioprinted products Like Barbara was saying, it's still uncertain whether in the long term all those products will be eligible for patent protection. But at least with the technologies that we're seeing at the moment, the products that are being made are still pretty markedly different from what's naturally occurring. Of course, as the products get closer and closer to natural tissue and looking like natural organs, then there will be many more questions and discussions about whether they're eligible for protection. At the moment, the best strategy to go about this is to still seek the IP protection on the products, and one may have to look closely at the scope of the claims to make sure it's claimed in such a way that may future-proof later developments in the law that might exclude some products from patent eligibility. But the products are certainly still protectable, and of course, the best way to get coverage on 3D bioprinting is to seek protection on all the aspects of the process and the products at the moment, and that includes the products themselves, the methods that are used to print the products, and even the methods that are used to develop some of the products, the way that they're scanned, the way that the 3D models are built in the computer before they're sent to the printers, and then the bioprinters themselves, which include the machines that deposit the materials, the machines that store the materials, and even extending to the materials that are used to make the tissue and organs, such as your bio-inks or the cells that may be specially treated in a way such that they're not naturally occurring anymore. So there's certainly a broad coverage that's available for 3D bioprinting, and as to the products themselves, the question is still evolving and the law is still evolving, but at the moment, protection is certainly available. Our guests have been Barbara Rudolph and Kai Rajan, attorneys at Finnegan one of the largest IP law firms in the world. For more commentary on intellectual property news and issues, to listen to other podcasts, and to receive additional information on the firm, please visit www.finnegan.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Finnegan.